God, I thank you for uh, today that we could be here, that um, restrictions relax enough to allow us to do this all together, that we aren't prepared to do things separately. Um, so we'd rather be online together than not here in person together. And so Lord, I pray that uh, in our uniting together, you would move powerfully. Already we've sensed a touch of heaven on worship. I pray that we would even more uh, sense a touch of heaven through your word this morning. Lord, it would unlock faith inside of us, unlock truth in our heart so we could see you more clearly and live this life more in step with you and your spirit. I thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Colossians. Grab your Bible, turn to Colossians. Uh, it's midway through your New Testament. Um, so after the book of Philippians, uh, we've got Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, Colossians. God eats popcorn. Does that say, remember that one? G-E-P. It's an acronym. Don't worry about it. Move on. So I've decided to... Uh, to, to preach uh, between now and Christmas, breaking down the book of Colossians. We're going to go through verse by verse. Don't worry, it's not as boring as it sounds. It's going to be amazing. And uh, so I just feel like I have a burning desire in me to help uh, people understand God's Word and unpack God's Word. I don't want to just come and tickle your ears for half an hour on Sunday and give you a nice topical message that may or may not relate to your life. I want to just go through what the Word of God says and ultimately give you tools in your tool belt to go home and study the Word of God for yourself so you can know God better. And as I said in last week's message, um, Scripture is not about Scripture. Prayer is not so much about prayer. No more than exercise is about exercise. All these practices, these disciplines, these things are a means to an end. Exercise is not about just doing squats or burpees or bench presses. Or it's, it's, it's a means to an end, and that end result is health and fitness and strength and vitality. And the, the Word of God is not just about reading it for information's sake. It's a means to an end that leads us to transformation when we understand who God is, what His Word says about life, and how we can better live in step with Him and understand Him more. And the same goes for prayer, and all of the spiritual disciplines really are just a means to an end of ultimately knowing God better and living life better. So, last week we, we started the book of Colossians, and I think it's important that we, we get a bit of an overview, a bit of a historical context, that it's about AD 61, um, where Paul is writing this. And the reason I, I like context is it, could take, it takes what, because oftentimes the Bible can become like a fairy tale, and we've become disconnected from these stories as if they're somehow fantasy. But when we bring a bit of context and history, we see that these things actually took place, these people are actually real, the Bible is actually um, historically accurate. So in AD 61 or 62, there's a bit of contention, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. Okay, and this is the book of Colossians. And so at the time, Paul was imprisoned. He was in jail in Rome. And so sitting in his prison, writing this letter to encourage the church. Now, Paul was locked up many times for preaching the gospel. Um, you know, they were trying to shut him down, shut the gospel down. After all, they killed Jesus to try and get rid of him. But then these followers just went even more berserk and the church started to spread. So Paul's writing this church, uh, to this church. After hearing that, there's a bit of false teaching getting in the church. And so we looked at this last week, what those false teaching things were. Basically, the church was starting to um, rely more on their tradition. Uh, they were worshipping angels. They were, they were relying more on their own self-discipline of, if I can just do more, then I'll be okay. They, they would forget about the ultimate significance of Jesus and the magnitude of what it means to, to live as a follower of Christ and, and, and be be resting in what he has already accomplished rather than trying to strive in our own strength. So Paul corrects 
this church and go, hey guys, let's, let's realign what the Christian faith is all about. And in the back end of, of Colossians, we'll start to see how he unpacks how we can live this life practically well that God has called us to live. So today, we're going to jump into chapter 1 from verse 15. And, um, and what, I, what I plan to do today is a little bit of chiropractic for our theology. Um, and I hate chiropractors. And if you're one here this morning, I love you. <laughs> Your work, not so much. I've seen you, whoever you are. You scare me. And, but I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to take a spine that is the central part of your being and, and align it so it works properly. I get that that's what you're trying to do. Still scares the hell out of me. So today I want to do that with our theological spines is somehow just do a little quick readjustment to make sure that um, we are correctly postured in how we see God, see God's word and live this life because it doesn't take much for us to get a little bit out of alignment and a little bit out of alignment can actually cause a lot of damage. So uh, throughout this year, Anna mentioned that tomorrow we're starting our um, Intentional Father uh, short course on Monday and Wednesday nights. I'm blown away by the response, so it's going to be amazing. And um, we've done a few of these throughout the year. Um, one particular course I've done three times with three different groups of people is the Understanding the Bible course. Hands up if you've done that course. Should be a bunch of you guys have done that. Yep. This isn't hands up, okay? This is, this is fingers up. Hands up. It's like, yes, I'm proud. And, and one thing I've learned from doing this course is how hungry people are to understand God's Word better. And so it's, it's such a burning desire in me to help um, people love God's Word, know how to navigate God's Word, and get the most out of it for themselves. And so one of the things that we, we talk about in, in the six weeks course that we do is, is theology and the importance of theology. And already some of you are glazing over like, what? That's just, that's like Bible college talk. That's like for academics. What? Theology is boring. That's like an old man with a gray beard talking about Old Testament stuff. Um, well, let me, just, let me just pop that balloon for a moment. Theology is simply this. Theology is whatever you think about when you think about God. So let me just paint this picture for you. A couple of dudes knocked off work on a Friday RV down the pub having a couple of skewies. Maka says to Baza, mate, you reckon God created all this? Baz is like, oh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. And then they start talking about, well, if God does exist, then how do bad things happen? And, uh, and they start talking. What is happening is a discussion on theology because it's what you think about when you think about God. And of course, it can be as detailed as going through the, the Old Testament, who wrote and what happened, but also it can be as simple as sitting with a mate, having a beer, talking about, is God really real? And if he is, why does bad stuff happen? So theology is not some big scary thing that we need to be afraid of. It's something that we all have. When we worship this morning, there's theology going on in our head. What we think about when we think about God. It happens all the time when we pray. There's theology happening. And so, so in, in our theology, our understanding of God, this is where it gets a little bit boring, but trust me, it gets better. There's a bunch of other ologies, right? And, and there's stacks of ologies. There's, there's ecclesiology, which is the theology of the church. Right? The ecclesia, the theology, so what you think about when you think about the church. Then you've got um, pneumatology, which is, which is the theology of the Spirit of God and how it works. Then you've got um, eschatology. And eschatology is an interesting one, especially in today's day and age. It's the theology of end times and how the end will plan out. Eschatology. And so, so we, we touch on these very briefly in the course, but, but it crescendos to this point where, where I talk about 
and what my message today is going to be about is the most important ology in your theology. Of all the ologies there are, and there are many, that form our framework of how we think when we think about God, the most important ology of all is our Christology. And if, you, if you're going ding, 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 the Christ is Christ. See what I did there? It's, it's, it's what you think about when you think about Jesus and the role of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the work of Jesus. That, that is the most important aspect of anyone's theology. And I will, I will probably take that to my grave because that is what the whole Christian faith hinges on is Jesus. And I think if we, if we get our Christology slightly out of order, if, if it's out of whack, we need to realign that because everything hinges on that. It's so important, the nature and the work of Christ. Why is it so important? Because the Christian faith starts, continues, and is completed by the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Our whole existence as a church, the whole Christian movement from when Christ first came to the earth 2,000 years ago to now until forevermore is all hinged around this gospel, the beautiful good news of the completed work of Jesus Christ. And so we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. Without Jesus, there is no sanctification. Without Jesus, there is no world. Without Jesus, there is no forgiveness. Without Jesus, there is no love. Without Jesus, there is nothing that you've ever experienced in this life because it's all about Him. And this morning, I'm going to convince you that's what the Bible says too. Not my opinion. So, that's just my intro. Is that all right? Just Christology, what you think about when, when it's your theology of the nature and work of Jesus. So Colossians chapter 1, let's see what Paul says about this. We're just going to tiptoe tip to, tip to, through. Stop judging me, seriously. Verse 15 in chapter 1 of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. So he's talking about Jesus. So don't forget that the issues the church was facing was that they started to have a lower view of Jesus. They didn't fully grasp the significance of Jesus. So verse 15, Paul started to correct that. He's saying he is the image of the, un, of the invisible God. So I can't see God, but Jesus is the image of God. How do, how do we see God? We, we see Jesus. We read about Jesus. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? All of those things point to who God is. Yahweh, the God of the universe, Father God, is seen in Jesus. So yes, God in his essence may be invisible, but God through Jesus is absolutely crystal clear about who he is, what he's done, and what life is all about. And that's why we did a series on the Sermon of the Mount, looked at the standard, because it's God made flesh in this world to show us who God is like and what the kingdom of God is. Um, how it is ordered and how it works. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by all things, so for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, theolo- or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, this is where things get really cool. If you hold your finger there and jump to John chapter 1. All right, John chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word. Now, unless you've got one of those fancy paragraph, paraphrase Bibles that are a little bit 
not translated properly, um, the word word in your Bible should be capitalized, correct? In the beginning was the word, capital W. Now, when you see in Bible a word like that, capitalized, it implies divinity. It implies uh, there's a touch of the Godhead on it. So we see here that there is this touch of divine on this word. In the beginning was the word. There was this, there was this divine essence, this God-like presence was the word in the very beginning. And the word, this divine presence, this divine entity was with God. Okay, cool. So in the beginning, because we read Genesis, we are in the beginning God created. So we get that. We've heard that before. So here, John is describing how things started. In the beginning was the Word, this divine entity, and it was with God. Ooh, that's cool. But then he continues to say, and the Word was God. Now hold on a minute. I can be with my wife, but I'm not my wife. How does that make sense? Well, because this is, this, this is where the theology of the Trinity starts to come into play. This word, this divine entity, was with God and was God all at the same time. In the very beginning, when the created order burst into, into place. Verse 3, all things were made through him. Through this word, this capital W, this divine entity, all things were created through him. And without him, not a thing was made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you jump down to verse 14, it gives us pretty clear indication of who this or what this word is, capital W. The word what? Became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Clearly, we can see here with a little bit of interpretation skills and cross-referencing that this word that was in the beginning with God and was God is actually Jesus because this word put on flesh and dwelt amongst us and displayed the light of heaven for all man to see. So, so Jesus is at the very beginning with God, and through him all things were created. So we jump back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. So we've just got the established order that, that Jesus created everything, okay? So it's all about him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So when we unite around Christ... We are held together. There is security. There is unity. There is togetherness. This church is not held together because we are people of the same nationality. That doesn't make any sense because we've got multinational people here all over the world. It's not held together because we're from the same stage of life. We've got people who are newborn all the way through to the other side. This church isn't held together because we all share the same um, career path. We've got people here from all sorts of... The thing that unites us is Jesus. So in him, all things are held together. We are held together as the church. God's primary vehicle for saving humanity is held together because of his son, Jesus. It's actually really good if you go home and think. It's really good. It's really helpful. He is the head of the body, the church. Right wherever the head tells it to go, it's going to go. So Jesus is, I'm not the senior pastor of this church. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. At best, I'm like a general manager. Just to organize stuff while he's doing more cosmic things. He's the leader. He's the head. He's the standard, not me. And he's a great boss to work for. Can I just say that? Because I know he's listening today, and um, he's doing a great job. Love it. And we've got a performance review coming up, so I want to make sure he's good books. So I'm sure you can understand. 
Oh dear. He's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, preeminent is not a word that we use very often. Preeminent is not a predominant word that we would use in 2021, but preeminent simply means this, surpassing all others. That Jesus created all things, in him all things are held together, that he might be preeminent in all things. He might surpass all things. I love the word preeminent. My wife is preeminent in her beauty. She surpasses all. You can use that German, that's fine. I like to think that my boy is preeminent in his basketball skills. Only time will tell, but sowing the seed of faith. That Jesus might be preeminent in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The brutal sacrifice that Jesus endured on the cross wasn't just a a senseless act of violence. It actually made peace between God and man once and for all. And it's this weird and wonderful picture that surely something so horrific cannot be so good, but it actually is because of what it did on a far greater scale than just the event itself. It brought all of humanity and God back together in God's original design and plan And that is why Jesus is so flipping important. That is why Christology is the highest form of theology that the Christian needs to grasp. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in the body of his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, so again, there's a bit of an onus on us. If we continue in the faith, then we are presented before God holy and blameless. That's what Jesus has done for us. When we we are united in him, when he holds us together, when we put our faith in him, lay down our life for him, he presents us holy and blameless, something which we are not when we're born into this world. We are born into sin and darkness, but Jesus saves us, rescues us from that, and then in him presents us before God the Father, holy and blameless with an eternity that awaits us, which is paradise compared to what we're saying in this world today. It's actually good news. That's why it's the gospel. You are welcome. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. It's so important that we don't jump from this idea to that idea. Just stay steadfast in the hope of the gospel. Jesus is enough. The battle is the Lord's. We heard that this morning. Let's rest in him. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. Let's trust in the finished, not incomplete work of the cross, the finished work of the of the cross and say steadfast in that from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which I Paul became a minister so the passage title here is the preeminence of Christ surpassing all others so I've got some questions I want to ask us not you like you're somehow wrong and I'm perfect Now, I'm asking us these questions because I think these questions are vitally important. And this is where we're starting to to have our spine realigned to how it should be with Jesus at the center. And these questions, if answered and addressed well, will help us even more have good posture in the kingdom of God. Is Jesus preeminent in our theology? 
If he is, then when we think about life and when we think about faith, we do so through the nature and work of Christ. So is Jesus preeminent in our theology? Some people might have the Holy Spirit preeminent in their theology. And that's why they run around looking for signs and wonders and dance with ribbons and all sorts of crazy stuff. God bless them. That's awesome. You won't see me do that, but that's okay. Some people have eschatology, the end times, and how it's all going to wrap up as their primary source of theology. And that's all they think about. It consumes them. But if Jesus is preeminent in our theology, then everything we think about the Holy Spirit, everything we think about end times, comes through the nature and work of Christ. Because in him, all things are held together. So our theology, in my opinion, should have Jesus as preeminent in it. Is Jesus preeminent in our relationships? If so, our goal is to win the person, not the argument. If Jesus is preeminent in our relationship, whether it be our marriages, our friendships, our neighborhood, whatever it is, family, if Jesus is preeminent in those relationships, we will always seek to win the person rather than the argument. We will always pour grace and love and mercy out because we care more about the person than just being right ourselves because that's the model that Jesus displayed for us. He wants us to have reconciliation with one another. That doesn't mean we agree. That doesn't mean we have to we united about those things that are peripheral, like we said weeks ago. We unite around what is central. But if Jesus is preeminent in our relationships, then reconciliation must be a priority for us. Is Jesus preeminent in our workplace or business? If he is, then we will behave in such a way where everybody sees us living with integrity. We will make decisions based with integrity, even at the detriment to ourselves. Because that's the right thing to do. If you're an employee, you won't waste your boss's time because that's dishonest. If you're, if you're an employer, you will look after your staff and you'll, you, you won't cook the books, you'll do the things correctly because that's the standard that Jesus has set for us. And if he's preeminent in our workplace and in our businesses, then it should show through how we act with integrity in those places and spaces as ambassadors for Christ. We're not an ambassador for Christ in the church because we pretty much all believe the same thing anyway. We're an ambassador for Christ out there. And we spend far more time in our workplace than we do at home. So we have far more opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ in our workplace than we do anywhere else in life. So if Jesus is preeminent in that space, we need to look at how we operate. Is Jesus preeminent in our hearts? Because if he is, then above all else we'll guard it. And how do we guard our heart? Primarily what goes through our eyes, what through our ears. We're not involved in gossip. We're not involved in slander. We're not, we're not looking at dodgy websites. We're not doing stuff like that because we're trying to protect our heart and keep it soft before the Lord because Christ is preeminent in our hearts. And he wants to take primary position. He doesn't want to share the throne of our heart. He wants to rule and reign so he can deliver the life he has for us through us. Because from our heart flow all the issues of life. And I want, if Jesus is, is enthroned on my heart, then I know what's going to flow out of my life is going to be good things. It's going to be eternal things. It's going to be helpful things. It's going to bless other people. It's going to help me be the best me. 
But if, if, if he is pushed off the throne and my own selfish desires are enthroned on my heart, then what's going to come out of that in my life is not going to be God's best. Prove me wrong. Is this okay? I don't want to do heavy. Like it just, no, 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 and I don't want applause either. I'm not after, like, don't take on my back, but, but I just want to know that this is helpful or it's just coming through because I don't want to be the heavy-handed guy, right? In saying that, is God preeminent in our finances? <laughs> I gave you a fair warning. Because if God is preeminent in our finances, then tithing is the starting point of our giving. And generosity flows from there. I don't talk about giving much. You probably noticed that. We've sort of pared back. In fact, I can't remember the last time I was talking about giving. Does that mean I have less importance on it? No, no, no. Absolutely. I believe in tithing. I believe in giving. I believe we need to be good financial stewards of our, of our money. The reason I don't want to... If I can be br- brutally honest, I know this is going to be recorded and held against me, but whatever. I don't want to be the guy that is constantly banging on your heads every week about you've got to give, you've got to give, you've got to give, you've got to give, you've got to give. I would rather be banging on your heads every week of let's do communion, remember what Jesus did for us every single week. Let's do communion. Let's remember Jesus. Let's, let's do what Jesus has called us. Let's follow him. Because when we get Jesus as primary, then the tithing will sort itself out. We'll start to give. We'll start to freely be generous and do those things that God calls us to do because we've put right things in their place. First things first. And I think it's important every now and then I talk about it. I'd rather talk about it with quality than quantity. I'd rather give you a banging sermon on teaching every now and then than a mediocre one all the time. So here's what I think. We f- here's why I think we find generosity so much easier than tithing. Because generosity is on our own terms. I determine what generosity looks like for me. I determine the frequency of that generosity. I determine when I turn the, frequent, the, the, the tap of generosity off and on. It's all dependent upon me, how I feel, what I want at any particular time. So that's how generosity works, whereas tithing is surrendering what God wants and what God asks, and the standard never changes. It started before Abraham, and it'll go all the way through to the end when Jesus packs it all up again. It's how the kingdom works. It's about ordering ourselves in such a way where we go, God, I'm going to honor you with my entire being, not just my words, but with my pocket as well. And so I bring a tenth, I bring the tithe, and I because because here's why, practically, pragmatically speaking, right? Because the church, Jesus holds all things together, right? He's the head of the church, and the church is God's primary vehicle to reach the world with the gospel. Right? When we get together, heaven falls, then we go out inspired, we reach people, we bring them in, we look after them, we all that sort. This is the church is the primary vehicle. So the tithe is simply the pragmatic way God is saying, "Hey guys, show me that I am number one by by, by giving to the local church, so it can continue to be the vehicle which I'm going to use to reach the world." And then from there, we become generous. And we sold to things like Pete's Place and we sold to um, the, the homeless and, and families. Whoever needs help, we, we're there to do that. But I think if God is preeminent in our finances, tithing is the starting point. Next point. Is Jesus preeminent over COVID and vaccinations? Have to go there. Too topical, not too. If he is preeminent surpassing everything else 
over COVID, over vaccinations, then that gives us a clear mind to maintain a healthy perspective and keep it in its rightful place so we don't wander into what I like to call distractionism. Because if Jesus is preeminent, then that sorts out everything else. And we don't run down rabbit trails and things like that and get sidetracked by what, what I would call peripheral issues. We can keep Jesus central and of course do your research. Of course have an opinion. Of course don't get vaccinated if you don't want to. Of course get vaccinated if you want to. I really don't care. That's on you. What I care about is if Jesus is preeminent, it takes away the stress and the worry and the concern that you should have around that issue because that issue is not ultimately a spiritual issue. It's a virus and a vaccine issue. And Jesus is preeminent in those things. He will rule supreme. And if I'm wrong, I don't care. My faith is in him. I'll be fine. My eternity is secured. It's fine. Last question, I promise. And then I'll give you a bit of a rest. Is Jesus preeminent in our spirit? If so, then we have full assurance that our eternity is secure in him, which by default gives us hope in the damage that this life can cause. If Jesus is preeminent in my spirit, in other words, if I have a very secure understanding of what salvation means, that I am God, I am found in him, and my eternity is sealed, secured, forevermore in paradise, then what I face in this temporal life is okay because I've got hope that this is not the end, that the, the, the suffering or the pain or the hurt we go through in this life is not in vain, that we will all stand victorious over that because of what Jesus has done for us and what we have as, um, as recipients or heirs to the throne room of heaven. And so if you are not a Christian, if you're just skeptical or you're, you're, you're searching or seeking or asking questions, I would say that's your starting point. Forget everything else I've looked at, talked about this morning. I would just go to get Jesus preeminent in your spirit by confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. That's all it means. That's the starting point to basically make your eternity secure that God will have you for it. When you pass from this life to the next, it is with paradise, with God, our designer and our father. And so then forevermore in this life, no matter what happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, we have hope. And, and hope is one of the most incredible forces and probably underrated forces in this life. Is Jesus preeminent in our theology? Is he preeminent in our relationships? Is he preeminent in our workplace or business? Is he preeminent in our hearts? Is he preeminent in our health? I missed health. Oh. If Jesus is preeminent in our health, you'll go see Erin and she'll train you. It'd be awesome. Um, if Jesus is preeminent in our health, then we will treat our bodies like a temple of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says it is. And that will fit whatever category that is for you. Is he preeminent in our finances and is he preeminent in our spirit? So, as I close, I'm reminded about what Peter said in, in Acts chapter 4. And so he and John two disciples were preaching the gospel after Jesus died. He ascended to heaven and then the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 happens with the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised would, would fall and would come to be our helper, our comforter, our guide, our power. And so that happened and then, and then the, the disciples dispersed. right? And they went all through corners of the world preaching the gospel. And, and 
from that moment, churches were planted, churches grew, churches were planted, churches grew, all the way through year after year, millennia after millennia, until today, C3 Coffs Harbour is here because of what happened way back then. And so when that first happened and the Holy Spirit fell, the disciples went out and started to preach the gospel. That upset it, upset it, upset things in the world. As I said at the very start, they killed Jesus to silence his message. But the voice of the message only got louder through the disciples. And then we see what beautiful things happen as the church, as the church grew, capital C church grew throughout history. And so, so Peter and John are preaching the gospel, planting churches, doing stuff like that, encouraging people. Thousands of people are, are responding and giving their lives to Christ and following Jesus. And so Peter and John were arrested, brought before the, um, the, the Sanhedrin, the, 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 the counselors, the, the leading people in Jewish culture, 72 of them, bigwigs, hauled into the court. And they were interrogated and they were intimidated. And if you read about the life of all the apostles, it doesn't end well for them all. Almost every single one of Jesus' disciples died by martyrdom. They were killed for their faith. So how strong, how real, how preeminent was the message of Jesus in their life that they're willing to die for it? We struggle around tithing, or we struggle around health, or we struggle around other, other ologies in our theology, but these guys were willing to die for their Christology, what the nature and work of Jesus. Apostle after apostle, disciple after disciple, understood that Jesus, the message of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the work of Jesus was the gospel, was the Christian message, was God's only vehicle for redemption and salvation for all humanity. So Peter John brought in before the council, literally told, if you don't shut your mouth, you're gone. And I'm assuming there was like a, a, a thumb across the throat sort of gesture. Um, they definitely threatened them with prison. Two things Peter says. First thing, I love this. I can't help but speak about the things I've seen and heard. Of course, admittedly, he walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. So he had that eyewitness account of Jesus' life, which sort of changes everything, right? Like, but don't, don't underestimate for us moments of worship, like this morning, where we get that sense, we get that feel. That's God's presence. That's a reminder of God's nearness. That's just not an emotional high or a little, you know, the hairs stand back on, the, on your, your neck because the band's got this awesome way of bringing the music to a crescendo. No, no, that's the Spirit of God moving when His people worship Him. When the, when the praises go up, the presence comes down. And so that's the reminder of the nearness of God, the presence of God. And Peter had that literally with Jesus, but we have that spiritually with God's Spirit, sent to be our helper, to be our comforter, to be our source of power. And so Peter says, I can't help but speak about the things I've heard. For us, we should not be able to help but speak about the things we've encountered, the things we've learnt, the things we've experienced in God's presence and with God. Second thing he says is Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Standing in the face of 72 grown men who are out to kill them and silence them. They are thinking they've already done that by killing Jesus, putting him on the cross. 
And then his followers stand up in front of all of them and say, there is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved than the name of Jesus. This was the heartbeat of the early church. This is what Paul is bringing uh, the Colossian church back into alignment around. They, they've forgotten the significance of Jesus. They've forgotten the importance of Jesus. So he's going, God, Jesus is preeminent. In him, all things were created. In him, all things were held together. In him, redemption is found. In him, salvation is found. It's only in Jesus, creator of all things. All things will be redeemed to him for God's glory. why he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. Jesus is everything. And Jesus, like, it's not a fairy tale. He actually lived. Like Julius Caesar lived. Like Emperor Nero lived. Jesus lived. Don't take the Bible before it. Search history. And I've seen too many Lives changed over 2,000 years because of this man, Jesus. I've seen and heard of too many miracles happen for me not to believe. And I can't help but talk about what I've seen, what I've heard that Jesus has done through millions, possibly billions of lives in the last 2,000 years. So what we're going to do now is we're going to just... Look at time. We're going to be here for an hour. This is great. Um... I'm just going to play a worship song that I think really, as I, as I wrote this message this week, this was the worship song that came to my mind. And, and we were not sure whether we could do worship like we did this morning or not, but, so I planned this anyway, and turns out we could. But what I want to do is we'll use this time to take communion at your own pace, at your own space. We're going to play this song on the, on the screen really loud, because I like loud worship. Um, only because loud worship prepares you for heaven. Um, it's, it's biblical. Um, it's true. Revelation talks about tens of thousands of billions of angels singing. Hot, like that's got to be voluminous. That's got to be like that's above the decibel that we're allowed in this building. So for us, we're just trying to bring heaven to earth and go, oh God, we've got to get used to this. This is all of eternity. It's the same. Like our worship songs are repetitive. They go over and over again. That's what heaven's like. Holy, holy, holy. That's all they sing. So we're just doing our bit to be scriptural. So I want us to sit in the theology of this song, as in what we think about when we think about God. I want us to ultimately think about our Christology, the work and nature of Jesus. And then as we take communion, I want us to do a stock take of our own heart, our own life, and Jesus' preeminence in it. Does he surpass all others in our theology, our relationships, our workplace, our hearts, our health, our finances, the whole COVID situation, and our spirit? Think about all those areas. Think about Christ. Think about his preeminence. And what would change if you were to make him number one rather than number four, five, or whatever he is? All right, so let's do that. And then take the communion at your own space and place. Thanks, Pete. So good. Father, I just thank you for sending your son, Jesus, 
And Jesus, I thank you for being obedient, even to the point of death, so that we, even 2,000 years later, who put our trust and hope in you can have life. We can have eternity secured. We can have the comfort of your presence and your spirit with us every single day. We have the unity of the church, the body of believers, to encourage and help and serve one another as your example of how your kingdom works. God, we, we want to make a decision today that you are preeminent, that you will be preeminent. We put you in a, a place that surpasses all others in our heart, in our mind, in our life. You know, I just want to, as we finish, I want to pray for just a couple of people, maybe more than a couple, I don't know. That's why every eye is closed. We're in a state of reflection and thinking. I want to be so bold as to ask you to be so bold because I want to pray for you wherever you are. If there's one of those areas we looked at this morning, one of those eight questions we asked about, is Jesus preeminent in those things? I'm not going to go specifically because I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to, that's the last thing God wants to do is bring shame, but, but God wants to bring freedom. And I kind of feel like sometimes you just need to make a, a faith step and just go, you know what? I'm going to stand and own this decision I need to make. And so I guess what I'm asking is if, if, if there's any one of these areas this morning that you were like, and maybe it was more than one, maybe it was like three or four, I don't know. Maybe like me, it's all eight, I'd, who knows? Um, but you just felt God say, you know what, you need to up the ante, you need to put Jesus preeminent in that area or in those areas. I wonder if you'd be so bold as to stand up where you are so I can pray for you. That's all I'm asking, just to stand to your feet so I can pray for you. And I tell you, it starts, like I said, it starts with Jesus being preeminent in our spirit, by putting our faith and our trust in Him, becoming a Christian, confessing with our mouth, believing with our heart that Jesus is Lord. That's the gateway to the life that God has for you. So you give it a few more moments. As you're standing there, thinking about the area or whatever it is that, that you're standing for, allow the Spirit of God to, to give you clarity on your next step. The thing about God's Spirit is He's not ambiguous. He's not weird and wacky. He, he wants to give you clear direction. The kingdom of God is not operated in a disorderly manner. He will give us steps. He'll give us words. He'll give us wisdom. And He'll give us the strength to go through those things. For example, if you've stood up because you want Jesus to be preeminent in your health and to treat your body more like a temple of the Holy Spirit, then ask the Spirit what the next step for you might be. And He might say, stop eating that chocolate at night time. He might say, get up half an hour early and just go for a walk around the block. Because I believe that what God is doing here this morning is not just to stay here this morning. 
but life change walks out those doors with you. Father, I thank you this morning for what you're doing in the lives of all of us here today. Lord, in particular, I, I pray for these men and these women who are standing here this morning in an act of boldness, making that, I guess, that public declaration that, that they need to make you more preeminent in their world. I thank you that, that there will be no guilt or shame even attached to any of this, but it would simply be hope and life and love. I pray for strength. I pray for wisdom. I pray for accountability, Lord God, that we as, as their brothers and as their sisters would get around them and encourage them that they would open up their lives to us to be able to share the struggle, share the battle. That we can be like iron sharpening iron, encouraging and sharpening one another. Lord, give us all a sense that we are not alone. We're in this together. The church is your vehicle to reach humanity. So in that, where you are the head, the body is united. And so we help and we serve and we love. Let everyone here this morning, God, know that they are not alone. They're not struggling alone. They're not in the battle alone. Ultimately, the battle belongs to you. But Lord, we've got soldiers standing alongside us, shoulder to shoulder, that will help us in the midst of those storms. Lord, for those of us that might need to, to bring repentance in here, I pray that that would happen right now. Lord, we know that the sin is so prevalent and it easily entangles and ensnares us and none of us are immune from its grasp. And any of us are just one decision away from making a massive mistake. So I pray, Lord, that you would bring into our hearts and mind a repentant spirit, a spirit that would confess our sin to you to let go of that thing that's holding us back so we can live with freedom with you at number one. Lord, I pray you would bless every marriage, every relationship, every household, Lord God. And I thank you that what you are doing this morning is like that chiropractor, just click, 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 just realigning your church back to the correct posture with Jesus at the head and the body underneath following the lead of wherever the head says it needs to go. Lord, I pray we would all walk out of here with a sense of freedom, a sense of liberty, a sense of love and of grace, Lord God. Take the weight of the world off our shoulders. Take the weight of self-striving off our shoulders. Take the weight of religion off us this morning. And let us live free with you as Lord and us as your followers. Help us keep it simple. Would you bless us today? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, you guys are amazing. And I'm excited to hear stories of transformation. Because when you make a decision in, in whatever area those, those things were, to put Jesus at number one, then that has to mean that everything else in that category of your life is transformed. Because when 
and think about it from a salvation level, right? When, when, when Jesus is preeminent in our spirit and we become saved, everything changes. Our eternity shifts. There's complete transformation. We're translated out of darkness into light. And so when Jesus is preeminent in any of those areas, expect transformation to come about. Expect him to realign everything in how the kingdom works and then watch heaven flow through your life in those areas. That's how it works. It's called the kindness of God, the graciousness of God. Everything he touches grows and multiplies and becomes blessed. If you read the start of Colossians chapter 1, looked at last week it talks about that that this has just happened this is like this snowball effect of when god touches stuff it grows and multiplies that's how it works god bless you i love you guys you're amazing there is coffee let's drink it together and uh no masks outside so let's do that awesome thank you guys thank you Joe.